From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Lots of post-game coverage over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. I just posted my five takeaways from the game. It's a nice in-depth look at, at after re-watching the game as well, uh, at some of the things that stood out to me. And, and that's kind of what we'll discuss in this episode. We're reviewing the Wolverines' 33-7 win over Northwestern. They are 7-0 and for just the fifth time in the last 45 years, a stat that still kind of blows my mind every time I hear it. Second time under Jim Harbaugh, in addition to the 2016 team, the last time before that was 2006, and then the other two were 1997 and 1986. So really a, a historically good start for Michigan. Uh, you know, it's, if, if, you don't wanna, if you don't count the early and mid-70s as part of the modern era, uh, if you go the last 45 years, last couple generations, not a lot of teams have been in this situation. So we'll talk about what stood out to us on defense. We'll talk about the offense. Obviously, lots of questions to address, uh, more, more so on the offensive side of the ball, but on both sides. And then we'll take a quick peek at the Michigan State matchup. Obviously, we'll have our own Michigan State preview later on this week, but we'll we'll take we'll do some early impressions, early early sentiments about. You know, what Michigan needs to do, what you know, maybe the key is heading into that game, so on and so forth. But but Steve, before we talk about the the quarterback discussion, which is obviously a lively one on on message boards and social media, yeah, before we talk about the run game and before we talk about next week, I think we honestly we should start by talking about this Michigan defense. It continues to look extremely good. I would argue Saturday was its best performance i'm a big believer in in the consistency numbers how many drives was nebraska or not nebraska northwestern how many drives was northwestern shut down how many drives were they unable to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish and you could argue really all but two you know they had the they had the 75 yard touchdown run that accounted for i want to say 40 percent of their total yards and then they had that one drive that resulted in a a bit of a ball don't lie missed field goal they were able to move the football in that drive didn't score any points other than that it was was like three and out three and out three and out third down interception blocked punt you know they complete maybe they, they made one first down and then they got shut down three times in a row really just an exceptional exceptional defense uh, the pass rush was once again good. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, you know, combined for, I believe, seven quarterback pressures. Michigan had 15 overall, according to Pro Football Focus. And then I thought the one thing that really caught my eye on the defense, and I, I think you're on the same page as me, I think this was a big step forward for Michigan's coverage game. Northwestern, they, their star receiver did go down with injury. Uh, they aren't a particularly good offense, period. but Really a sound game overall in coverage. I think there were really two big pass plays allowed, one in the first play of the game, and then the other one was kind of after the game had already been decided. But, you know, someone like DJ Turner, first career start, targeted eight times, which is a lot, only allowed three receptions for eight yards. You know, they snuffed out the screen plays. They had tackles for loss on on completed passes that I think passed Michigan teams might have allowed a first down on. You know, I thought the pursuit was overall very good. They stopped the run. Evan Hall is is actually statistically a pretty good running back in the Big Ten. He's had some big games this season. He had that one big play. I think beyond that, I don't I don't believe he recorded a, I think he recorded two yards rushing the rest of the game. So, you know, really other than that one play. This was a almost perfect defensive performance. I think the group is getting breakout players in every position. Junior Colson got his first career start. Him and Nikaiho Green kind of split snaps. But, you know, the addition of Turner, 
the improved play in pass coverage. I I think I think this defense is is genuinely ready for the good good offenses on Michigan's schedule, which are still to come. I think arguably the four best offenses they're going to face this season are still on the schedule. But I I really think this defense is ready. I, that was that was honestly my big, biggest takeaway just from rewatching the game was holy cow this this is a defense that knows where to be has the players to make the plays and is starting to to kind of iron out some of its bigger weaknesses such as pass coverage what what, what were some of your thoughts or or impressions from Michigan's defensive performance I think that like I think you kind of mentioned it uh, is seeing guys emerge at every level of the defense they Michigan feels deeper defensively than I think we ever would have anticipated heading into the season a couple guys yesterday not their star players not their top players but seeing a guy like uh, Welshoff made a couple really good plays up front this was not in garbage time this was in like you know like third quarter second third quarter I want to say he was one DJ Turner had played more snaps than anybody else at cornerback yesterday. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. I thought having a third guy emerge at that corner position was pivotal for Michigan if they are to kind of take that next step defensively. Uh, I think there that's that looks like that's off to a really good start. You know, he looks like a guy who's becoming more and more comfortable out there. Uh, made the excellent play on the interception. Obviously, um, got hosed on that pass interference call. You know, really, I thought from top to bottom played it, played his best game at Michigan. So it just feels like, you know, well, Mike Morris also continues to be a guy that just a looks the part, but b is just there and and making plays. I think Braden McGregor played really well at the end of the game yesterday too. You know, it just they just feel really deep across the board. You know, and then the other guy, and I think someone on our board even gave him the shout out earlier in the week. One guy whose emergence continues to be super valuable for Michigan is, is RJ Moten. You know, it has completely allowed Michigan to use Daxon Hill however they want to use Daxon Hill because Hill is obviously a guy capable. I think he's – it's in a different style than what Jabril Peppers was, but is one of those guys you kind of call him the chess piece. You know, you can just kind of put him anywhere uh, where you think he'll best be utilized – and, uh, you know, with Moten looking more and more like a legit guy at the safety spot alongside Hawkins, it's allowed them to do a lot more with Daxton Hill, uh, particularly on the edge. So, yeah, I mean, the defensive performance, like you said, I think Hull had 75 uh, yards on the touchdown. He had six was the actual. I think he ended up with 81 yards for the game. Hmm. And it, one, the other thing that they've done, and we've talked, we've talked a lot last couple of weeks about the interior of the defensive line has really taken some big steps forward. They've almost really eliminated teams even trying to run the ball up the middle. Yeah, It's really not even become – it's really gone away from – teams aren't even really doing it to try to keep Michigan's defense honest. You know, I mean, Northwestern had a 100 yards overall running the ball, but, like, you have – these are all guys, like, one carry, three carries. These are, like, receivers, too, a couple of receivers mixed in there. So not even guys that, you know, six carries for Hull overall. So he had the one run for 75. He only got the ball five more times, uh, you know, running the ball. So it doesn't even feel like teams are even trying. And again, you have that ability up front makes life a lot easier for your linebackers and for your safeties, you know, to, to help out in that intermediate and deep uh, passing game and stuff. So that's, that's, a little bit, that'll be obviously really interesting next week or, uh, you know, with Michigan state, but to me, yeah, the two big things are basically eliminating teams from running the ball at the middle and also like kind of what you had said about emerging, a lot of emerging guys at, at some some pivotal spots that are, you know, the snap counts defensively, the, the, it's, the list is like a mile long at this point each game. And uh, it's, it's going to make life easier for guys like Hutchinson and Ajabo and Ross, you know, and, and these other guys to, to, you know, that they're not having to play four quarters or play a ton of snaps each game. Uh, bodes well in some of these bigger games that are coming up. Yeah, I, I agree. Good eye on on McGregor, by the way. I forgot to mention him. I, I I'm doing a new thing where I'm counting 
run stops as a unofficial, my own eye stat where, you know, run of, of two yards or less. So negative runs yards of that get zero, one or two yards. And then third and fourth down stops. They all count as stops last uh, on Saturday. They had 12 run stops on 23 carries, which is very good. Uh, actually 22 carries. Cause one of those was a sack and sacks don't count. McGregor had two and a half and he only played nine snaps. I mean, he came in and, and granted, he was kind of playing at a, a weird time of game where some of the stats maybe aren't as relevant, but, but for him to make such an impact, we've seen him as a pass rusher, a uh, pretty effective pass rusher earlier this season, but for him to get in there and, and stop the run, you know, just a, another, another feather in Michigan's cap. If he can emerge Julius Welshoff had a, I agree with you, him and Mike Morris, uh, played different roles. I mean, Welshoff played a little less than Morris did, but, but both of them continuing to look like that, that optimal, I mean, Michigan, they want the big guys in the middle, but it doesn't hurt to have a Chris Wormley type, you know, someone who's maybe 280 ish. I don't know exactly what either of those players weigh right now, but can kind of move like a defensive end, but has the strength and the size and the, and the, the leverage of a defensive tackle. I mean, just continue to be a little bit more versatile defensively, continue to be deeper. I think if if you had told Michigan fans that at, in week seven or game seven, you know, the kind of impact someone like Junior Colson, Nikai Hill Green, DJ Turner, David Ajabo, Mike Morris, like if you'd run some of the stats, some of these new contributors, I think I saw they've now had nine first time starters on the defense this this season that's a lot for seven games for a team that returned a lot defensively but if you could if you had rattled off the stats of you know mozzie smith has been making such an impact i kind of forgot that he was a first time starter you know you rattle off some of the stats that they have you'd say oh wow this team is probably off to a really good start and, and it is it's it's a really um impressive defensive group still have not faced too many or any, honestly, you could argue good offenses, maybe Nebraska, uh, Western Michigan, maybe, but still, it feels feels like they're ready for the big time. Also ready for the big time. You know, you could, I, I'd be curious if, if this was the best game for Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. You know, according to Pro Football Focus, they broke 25 tackles on 42 carries which is crazy. I mean, that's, that's insanely high. I just looked it up this morning. Texas is the only team with a running back duo with more, I guess it's technically forced missed tackles. So it's not just an arm touches you or, 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 you know, they, they wrap you up. It's guys who you make miss, but Texas is the only team in the country with more forced missed tackles from its top two running backs. And, and no team in the country has two running backs with 10 rushing touchdowns and no team in the country has two running backs with two guys, two running backs with 600 yards rushing. I mean, this is, this is not just like a a really good duo. This is an elite combination, arguably the best in the country and a group that is going to start to, you know, the two of them are going to start to creep up those Michigan single season record books and for them to both be so good. I thought I thought Saturday was a nice clinic in how they complement each other. I think that first drive of the second half, you know, Hassan Haskins comes in for three carries. That's usually when teams have to start passing the ball because their running back is is taking a beating. But instead, they just give it to Blake Corum, who runs differently. You know, they have different plays, uh, not not too differently. Like it's not specialized, but he kind of came in. I I, I love. Uh, Mike Hart brought out the Madden reference a few weeks ago in an interview. He said, yeah, it's kind of like Madden. You know, you run, you want to give it to your running back and then the fatigue meter comes down. So you have to play the backup. What happens if the backup is just as good as the starter? And so it's uh, a lot of people are wondering what happens if teams can stop the run. Still a fair question, but I, I think this is a harder rushing attack to stop because there are, legitimately two star caliber running backs, two guys who could run for a thousand yards and 
18 touchdowns this season. And they, they both have an array of skill sets that, that allows Michigan to maybe get away with being a run heavy team. Like, like they can run the ball at a high frequency without it being predictable or stoppable. So anyway, that was, that was something that really stood out to me. I I'm curious, um, you know, from, from what you were able to see, not too much new, I suppose, with Haskins and Coram, but but another showcase for them where uh, this is just a you, know, you might start to be able to say all time great running back room for Michigan. Uh, yesterday, another really showed why I, th- I thought Haskins was the f- team's first half MVP, and you know we've called him the the tone setter for the entire unit. I just, I think he continues to show it every week. I mean, how valuable is a guy that on third and two, third and three, 80%, it feels like 80% of the time, knowing the defense is expecting him to get the ball, but he can get you that first down. Um, you can't measure the value of a player like that. Add Corum to the mix, who seems to find ways to create yards for himself, you know, is, uh, it's been quick. Sorry, yeah. I want to share a stat for your tone setter. Yesterday, Hassan Haskins had 11 first downs on his runs. I think touchdowns count. Northwestern Crazy. had 10. Northwestern, had, the entire team only had 10. Yep. And like that, like just in watching the game, that stat like doesn't surprise me either, though. That's what's kind of funny about it. Um, as, as crazy of a stat as that is, it kind of felt like that when you're watching it. So the other thing though, they're blocking really well. Eric all has played really well. The last few weeks had a great game yesterday. The receivers are, are continuing to, I think, get better. Um, still some, some big missed assignments there. I think a lot of people point to uh, Baldwin on the same or still fumble is a play that got a lot of crap, but actually should have been, a successful play if Baldwin makes the block he's supposed to. So still some kinks to work out there, but really just the running game has become an entire you. It's become a, a strength of the entire unit, not just the backs, not just the offensive line, uh, everybody. So, and again, I don't think you can measure the value of, of being able to successfully run the football knowing that defenses are probably going to be keying on the run. I mean, we expect Michigan State to key in on Michigan's run on Saturday. I don't know why they wouldn't, you know. So, yeah, impressive. Continues to be impressive. And it's it's getting to the point now where you you just – you expect it. You know, I, I I will be very surprised if Michigan State completely slows down Michigan's running game next week. I'll, I'll just be very surprised. And uh, that's not a knock on Michigan State as much as it is just Michigan has done this to everybody so far. And again, this is the, you can care, you can bring a running game with you on the road. An environment, a tough environment, should not necessarily negate your ability to run the football as it might with the timing and the calls and stuff in the passing game. You know, running game is something, and as smoothly and as consistently as Michigan has done it. It's almost, I think it's just ingrained in these guys how to run the offense. And I just, with Haskins and Quorum, I think they're just, it's going to be very difficult for, for Michigan State, whoever, Indiana, Maryland, or Penn State, Ohio State, for whoever they played to really slow them down. Yeah, Rutgers, Rutgers had some success. And then and a lot of people point to Wisconsin. But the thing I would say about Wisconsin, they still lead the country in run defense. They literally played a service academy last week. And Michigan still has a third of the rushing yards they have allowed all season. They've only allowed 373 rushing yards in seven games. That's 53 per game. And I mean, just hey, I think that that number's not even they're they're number one. It's them in Georgia, and then and then nobody else is even close. Right, right, right. (laughs) And the ones who are are group of five teams. So it's, um, yeah, it. I think that's allowed to be a true like strength versus strength. And, and Michigan still did all right. You know, I think they both, I think both Corm and Haskins had like 40 ish, 42, 43 yards. 
So it was a quieter game, no doubt about it. But one, Michigan, it seemed like Coram got shaken up a little bit. And then Michigan was having success in the passing game in that in that particular contest. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm curious to see because teams are, like, really going to go to great lengths to sell out to stop the run, but it's, I, I do think that there's enough versatility, enough variety in how Michigan runs the football that, yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to like shut it down completely. Like there's not going to be some, you know, I always think of like, like if uh, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James goes like, Oh, for eight from the field and scores two points. Like there's not going to be a, a game like that for this running back group, but it might, they might not be able to do enough. I don't think Michigan's perfect or, or untouchable, but yeah, they're going to have a good season. They're going to be putting up numbers for a long time or for, for basically against any opponent where I do think there are questions. And I know our listeners have lots and lots of questions about this as well is, is Michigan's passing game with a good defense, with a good run, uh, run game. They are seven and zero, but Yet another game where Michigan's passing attack, the word I'm using is cast out. Didn't necessarily completely screw things up. They didn't throw an interception. They technically completed a high percentage of passes, but it it just was another game where it didn't seem to be a passing attack that any team remaining on Michigan's schedule is genuinely afraid of. You know, it's just, it's not it's not a passing attack that teams are circling and saying, Oh, we got to make sure we, we, you know, are aware of this or are, you know, they're not scared. No one's scared of Michigan's passing offense right now. And, you know, I thought, I thought honestly on rewatch, I came away slightly less concerned about it because I, I think Michigan, you know, I think Cade McNamara took what the, what the defense were giving him a lot of those checkdowns to tight ends. I don't think that was him getting happy feet or getting scrambly or kind of taking the easy way out. I think genuinely like those were open more so than the downfield receivers. Northwestern has, uh, they, they've produced a couple, I think a couple guys are starting in the NFL, you know, from the secondary and then they sold out to stop the run. So the tight ends were open. So I think that was maybe one positive, but Steve, obviously not a good, or not a not a encouraging performance for the passing attack. How if there's a one to ten scale, how how concerned should fans be about the play of Cade McNamara? I mean, is this a situation where they need to make a change and they really need to look hard at making a change, or is this a situation where you just kind of got to work around it? Where where do you fall in this debate? Obviously, it's it's not a as, as reporters, it's not our favorite thing to discuss, but this is something I know our listeners, uh, you know, it's, it's at the forefront of their minds right now. I don't know if this game specifically really changes a ton for me. I thought Harbaugh's comments about the deep passing game being forced yesterday was kind of interesting. Uh, talking about safeties playing 16 yards or playing how not 16 yards, playing however many yards off the line of scrimmage, you know, playing deep, which I thought was an interesting strategy by Northwestern to begin with. But um it's 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 Michigan, they're in a weird spot because you have a quarterback who's not making many, if any, like killer mistakes, right? And right. uh you know, you're it's <laughs> You could subscribe to the, if it's not broke, don't fix it theory, you know, or, you know, cause we've talked about, you know, maybe the ceiling would be higher with McCarthy in there. I'm not convinced that's the case after watching him get a little bit of run yesterday. I still feel like he, uh, how do you say it? Even the play, the big, the play that he made on the, with, on that long scramble, uh, it felt like there was somebody open early and he missed, he missed the read there. Wouldn't have had to do all that stuff. Uh, to make that completion, you know, but again, with him, you see it in flashes. You see flashes of things that we haven't seen from McNamara all year. 
I don't know. I, I just with 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 how well they've played defensively and how well they're running the running the football. I just I don't know or think that making a change at this point would be of much benefit to them, given that McNamara, even Fitz, I think Fitzgerald's the one that said it yesterday. Is like he didn't he he did he gave us he gave what he took what we gave him, you know. And I think there's some value in that. I think you want. I mean, of course, I think you want to see more, but. One thing I think one of the hardest things to tell when you're watching a game and sometimes even off the rewatch is how much of this is on the receivers versus it being on the quarterback. And that's not to say McNamara is playing perfectly or it, the answer still might be more of it's on the quarterback, but it's always hard to kind of tell where that responsibility lies on like maybe some, a couple plays down the field that don't work out or some intermediate stuff, you know? So I, it's, I do. I think I don't, I wouldn't say they're in a tough spot because they are undefeated and they're not turning the ball over offensively, but I can, I still of course see the argument of maybe putting McCarthy in there a little bit more, but I think after yesterday, I don't, I I think we will see a very similar situation to what we have seen the last few weeks, which is almost all McNamara with some McCarthy sprinkled in. Right. And, and that's, I think I, I think I vouched for it on this podcast before, before the Northwestern game. Like this is, this is a game where Michigan should give McCarthy a drive or two of moderately pass heavy offense just to see, because we still don't really have a great sample size. I think he's 12 for 19 on the season. That's just not a ton of, of passes and, and how many of those were against Mac teams. So yeah, I think, I think uh, there's an argument to be made that Michigan missed an opportunity to to see more of what he could do. So right after the game, my concern level of of or my recommended concern level, I should say, was was maybe like a six or a seven. I mean, McNamara, this is the this is really the second game in a row where I, I think he has underperformed and underwhelmed and. Um, which to me says that he's not progressing every quarterback, especially young quarterbacks gets better throughout the season. You know, they learn from their mistakes. They make improvements. They clean up some bad habits. I think we are seeing that at Michigan state. You're seeing that at Ohio state for sure. Obviously they they're on a different level um, at this, at this particular moment, but, but you see that around the country too. I, I don't think we're seeing the same progress. And in that case, when you do have a five-star quarterback on the bench, you know, you kind of look around and say, okay, what, what can he do? I mean, can he really not progress as well or progress in his own right throughout this season? And then I rewatched the game and, and I did make some notes during the game. I think a couple of those deep passes were on the receiver. I, I think this current group of receivers, I'm not counting Roman Wilson. He didn't play very many snaps. I think he only played five uh, coming off a wrist injury. Ronnie Bell is out. I think the, the rest of the team is having some difficulties or, or even some bad habits when they, they're, they're looking at the ball a little too much when they're running their routes and they're, they're stopping short, seeming like they want to high point a ball, but then the ball is like five yards past them. It's, it's kind of a, I don't know if that's a uh, just a couple coincidental mistakes or if that's a pattern, but it seemed like there were a couple plays where the receiver stopped short and then started it up again. And, you know, the ball looked overthrown, but I, I think, you know, it's almost like a baseball player when they, when they're chasing a, f- a fly ball, it's like, don't have your glove up in the air the whole time. No, you run, get to the position, plant your feet and then catch it. And it seemed like there were some issues with that. Um, I do think we're at the time of year where the sun gets in players' eyes a little bit uh, when they're when they're going north. I suppose so, you know the sun, the sun is further south, and at Michigan Stadium that can be a little bit of an issue. Um, there was a wind, so there's lots of little factors here and there. I still think that I would recommend maybe a four or five, but Steve, I, I liked what what you said. I mean, with the way they're running the ball the way they're playing defense and what we've seen the last two weeks from Michigan state 
you know, struggling against Indiana, uh, an Indiana team that, that really kind of gave that game away with the pick six and everything. And then Penn State losing at home to Illinois. Perhaps it was a trap game, but they still lost. I think Michigan can get to 11 wins this regular season with either player at quarterback. I don't know that they necessarily will. Michigan can very much lose both of these games. But I think you can get away. I mean, everyone, the, the thing everyone says is what happens when you know, Michigan State stops the run? What if they don't? What if Michigan's defense is also that good? You know, what if Penn State doesn't really stop the run? They don't have much of a rushing attack. What if Michigan's defense does well? I mean, it's, it's not the way, obviously, Michigan or football fans in general want their teams to be perfect. But my thing is, is kind of like with you. I mean, what, what is the risk versus reward of making a quarterback switch? Because the risk is that, you know, you make the, the wrong decision or J.J. McCarthy isn't quite ready yet and, and makes some costly mistakes. And the reward is, I guess, you know, starting the season 11-0, we can talk about the Ohio State game when it gets closer. But I, I just, I, I think the risks outweigh the reward on this. And so if they had put McCarthy in for a couple like genuine, like preseason game style drives where he was able to throw, show what he could do, and we had a better sense of what he could do and what his ups and downs were, that's one thing. But, I, you know, he makes one nice scramble and throws one like five-yard out route at a high velocity, and, and you want to make a switch based off of that? I don't think that's enough. So for me, I think the risk currently out, outweighs the reward, and I think that's not necessarily a compliment to Cade McNamara, but rather a compliment to the entire team that this, this team is, it's not, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like it, it's genuinely a working team, working operation. And that's prob- probably shouldn't be tinkered with right now. And if you think about, you know, for the month of November, I just, I don't know if, I don't know if the quarterback switch changes Michigan's ceiling all that much. Another thing to think about with, when you talk about quarterbacks and making a change is with the talent level that McCarthy possesses, the hype surrounding his recruitment and just the hype from fans and stuff that want to see him, you're running the one risk you're running is if you do if you were to make that switch, I, I don't know if you can go back after that. Not comfortably. Right. right. It'd be then, awkward if they did. Right. And so you're again could have, if they made that decision, maybe it turns out to be the right decision. Everybody wins, but it's what they're doing offensively from a from a overall standpoint has worked so far this season. What it they're not turning the ball over. McNamara's not making. He's only really made a couple, in in my estimation, a couple like really bad like decisions this season. You know, the interception. According, against, yeah, according but, to Pro Football Focus, he has made literally one turnover worthy play all was season. That, was that the pick? A lot of I quarterbacks assume? make. No, it was actually yesterday. So they didn't was count it that the pick because all? it was. I, I think so. Yeah, um, that was that was one of the things I was that was one of the plays I was thinking. About. Yeah, they didn't count the interception because apparently I think the 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 decision was that that should ha- that play should have been called offsides right. and i think michigan thought it was a free play too based on how it was played which that's on michigan for not looking at the flag but regardless there is a number to support he really does not make a lot of poor decisions right so and i i think i think a lot of people are underestimating the value of that so i forgot to give a number i'm like probably at like a 5 um, but again, you make that change and I just, it, yeah, I, you can, you'll never be able to go back comfortably and you're putting, you're, you're risking putting a kid in there who might not be really all the way ready. And then you're running the risk of, you know, you're undefeated of having no quarterbacks versus what you have right now, which 
McCarthy's effective when he's been in there also in a different way, you know? So I just, my confidence in what Michigan's doing at quarterback has, has grown knowing the context of the offensive unit as a whole. So if I'm Michigan, I stick to what they've been sticking with, you know, I agree with, like you said, I think part of this has probably been on the receivers to an extent. One thing we we haven't mentioned yet, I want to see, I, I think they should be playing Andrell Anthony more. I think you mentioned he did play quite a few snaps yesterday. Yeah, 36. I, I think right? that's a career high. I think that's, he's a guy that they should be giving more opportunities to. I suspect we'll see him quite a bit on Saturday against Michigan State. So, hmm. you know, there's that. And, uh, but no, I, I, my, I would have said a six maybe before, but I'm, I'm somewhere between a four and a five right now, just because I said you can't measure the value of a guy who's not making mistakes that are killing, you know, drives it. That's been one of the biggest problems for Michigan over the years is, is our mistake killing or a drive killing mistakes, you know, in big, in big games. So until, yeah, like you said, and that's the other thing is like, until somebody actually really does slow down their running game. And when we say slow down, you, you, bring, you brought up the Wisconsin game. It's like they're still running the ball at a good enough clip to be able to throw the football. You know, you, running the ball successfully to me does they're not scoring mean, points. Yeah. Right. Doesn't mean that you have to run for 250, 300 yards. It means are you running the ball effectively enough to where the defense still has to respect it when you're handing the ball off? And I don't, you know, I didn't see the second half against Rutgers. It's ironically the only half of Michigan football I have not seen yet this year. <laughs> um, but you know, they've been able to, they've been so successful in, in running the football enough to open up the passing game. That's one that, that is, I would say this though, that is the one part I can, where I can side with the, the, the gripers, I guess you want to call them a little bit more in that it is very surprising that, that because they've run the ball so well that you're not seeing more wide open guys. Mm-hmm. on play action type situations you'd think as successfully as they've run the football that it, it you know it's a classic push pull pull the defense up by running the football and you should be able to uh, throw it over their heads um, pretty surprising we haven't seen that on a more consistent basis I, I would definitely grant that point for sure uh, but again to me that comes down to quarterback versus receiver who's who's more at fault what's where where is it schematically not working in those situations. So, but overall, I, I just, they, they, the way that they're consistently moving the ball up and down the field and not making those like backbreaking mistakes at the quarterback position. I think there's a lot more value in that than the, you know, making a change now. I mean, they are, they're undefeated, you know, ironically, I think in the, so passing offense as a whole, I think is somewhere in the hundreds but yards per completion, they're somewhere in the top, like, 35 or 40, I want to say. Uh, I think they're somewhere between 12 and 13 yards of completion for the season. And, uh, again, that's not elite, but I think it's a lot better than what people would guess if you asked them to guess. So, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, four and a five. A little bit of a long-winded answer, I guess, but I think it, it, I think it's a pretty interesting topic. Yeah. I, I actually agree with the gripers. I, I know what I said and how I said it might sound like I disagree. They haven't gotten enough from the passing game. I think my thing is I just – I don't – I think we might – I might disagree with the gripers in the panic level of what not enough from the passing game entails. I don't – you know, they're not going to go eight and five. Doesn't feel like they're going to go nine and four. I guess it's possible, but but feels like they're – I don't know. I look at the, if, if, if like, I would, I'm going to challenge listeners to think of this after what you saw from Michigan state last week and Penn state this week and Michigan this week, do you really not think Michigan has a legitimate chance to beat Michigan state and Penn state with Cade McNamara at quarterback? Like it'd be a different story if they had lost to Nebraska, lost to Wisconsin, who by the way, does that looks like they're going to end up being a ranked win. And for Michigan at the end of the season, the way they beat Purdue. But, you know, it's a different story if they've lost. They haven't lost. And, and they've beaten teams so bad that they don't count as good wins anymore. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, th- I think that's where I might disagree. Because I, 
you know, when I watch Cade McNamara, I, I come away very underwhelmed. Um, and the deep ball has been there on occasion, but on Saturday it wasn't there. I think after rewatching the game, though, I came away so impressed with the run game and the defense that I, I don't know if it's I, – I, I think the risk of making a change is, actually does outweigh the reward on this. Anyway, we're going to hit a break on the other side. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about maybe a couple other concern points and then a quick early, I guess, look at the Michigan State matchup. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Steve, one more concern point I had, and if you have another one, I, I, I'd love to hear your, that too, but the, the red zone offense, I think, is a, it's something that I think needs to be reworked. And, be, and I say reworked because I don't, I think it's too broad to just say it's, it's bad. I think they have had some really nice plays. They have been really effective in the red zone at times but they were legitimately two yards away or not two yards, four yards away, two yards, both times from this being a 47 to seven victory. And if, if Michigan had beaten Northwestern 47 to seven, it would have meant the same as 33 to seven, but like optically, I don't think there would be any concerns from the game. Right. And so, I mean, they just would have destroyed the team and instead it was kind of close at halftime, 10 to seven, and they pulled away in the second half, but it could have been 21 to seven. I guess is where I'm going with this. I think the red zone things that work, I really like Eric all in that fullback position. You know, the way he blocks the leverage he can get, I don't think he can play fullback all the time, but I I do like it in that red zone situation just to kind of set the tone and and kind of set the hole for, for teams. And then, then I did like, I thought Andrew Anthony actually had a really great block on Hassan Haskins touchdown run. He didn't, he didn't quite get the receiver all the way out of the way, but he got, he got the defender out of the way enough that Haskins could move, could do a fall forward and score. So I think, you know, Haskins, Eric all, I think they have the blocking from the receivers when they need it, but the passing game, like these throws that aren't even in the end zone, like if you're passing from the four yard line and you're completing a one yard pass and then you're lining up on, on third down and you're com- completing another one yard pass. I mean, I, I don't know what that's about. I, I don't think, you know, there, there's, there's some say don't want to get too cute in the red zone. Some say you don't want to be too predictable, but there's gotta be an in-between that is more productive with points. Right. I, I, I respect Michigan's effort to not make mistakes in the red zone. I don't think they, they have just the one red zone turnover this year, but man, it's really nothing open in the end zone. That's just, that, that surprises me. And to me, that says a lot about the receivers not being able to create separation. So I don't, I don't know if they need to get more creative. I don't know if they just need to be more, more aggressive or do they just need to double and triple down on the ground and pound stuff that that's working. But Steve, I guess what are your thoughts on, on the red zone offense? Cause to me, other than the passing game, that was maybe the one area where I'm, I'm coming away a little concerned about Michigan after seeing their red zone offense. I think it's what makes it a little more unsettling even is, is they've only given up what two sacks all year after yesterday. Yeah. So three, three. right. So it's, it's not as if it's a situation where McNamara would be theoretically like under duress. And and this is the area where it's even more mystifying that they they can run the ball so effectively yet can't seem to create open opportunities in the passing game. You would you would think that inside, let's say like the 15, 15, 10 yard line, that some play action stuff like should work. Honestly. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. So I, I agree. I don't think you're, you know, I don't think like committing fully to just running the football down anybody's throat is is always it's it's not going to work in every situation as well as Michigan has run the football that's one area where teams are going to sell out and force Michigan to try to throw it so it, it is kind of odd and I think it is that's to me I guess if I'm saying it this way this feels like the one thing 
if they were to falter maybe in a game that they should, that we think they should win, this might be the reason why. Missed opportunities in the red zone, getting three instead of seven, right? I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's been their biggest Achilles heel all season. And uh, yeah, yesterday's performance. So like they've still had success, you know, and, and that's where Moody's value as a kicker, they are getting points when they get down there. They're not completely squandering. But, yeah, there are two or three games this year where they should have had probably a couple more touchdowns than they had because of that inability, you know, whether it be running or throwing the football. So use the seam between the seam, like a little bit more, uh, you know, like that. this is another area between Schoonmaker and All. I feel like those are guys. You talk about All as a blocker, get some play action in there, run him out you know, get him the football a little bit more. I mean, they did get him the football, but like you said, it's a lot of that behind the line of scrimmage stuff, which I agree, you know, all things being said, like I did mention the Saner still play earlier where Baldwin maybe whiffed on a block that would have allowed Saner still to walk in. But either way, it just, it can get frustrating. Well, you run the risk of a missed block. Exactly. Being the issue. Exactly. And so, you know, it, it point being, it, it doesn't feel like Michigan should have to so I don't want to say rinky dink it, but that kind of feels like a lot of what they do when they get inside, like, let's say like the seven or eight yard line, you know, it's, it's, that's something they've consist- consistently struggled with all year. So yeah, biggest Achilles heel for me. And, and like I said, something that if, if something's going to cost them in a big game, I, I think it could end up being that. Yeah. Just to put some numbers on this, Michigan has been to the red zone 33 times. They've actually scored 30 times, which is a very impressive clip that ranks 23rd nationally. But the percentage of times they've scored a touchdown is much lower. They've only scored 20 touchdowns. That ranks for touchdown percentage uh, 67th. Now, Michigan State is 78. Penn State is 107th. So Michigan isn't the only team still trying to figure this out. But if you are thinking... Where is Michigan now? What is their ceiling? I, I think the points on the board is a big deal. They are seventh in the country in red zone field goals. I mean, that's great that Moody is is as consistent as he is. But yeah, if you're kicking a field goal under 30 yards, which Moody has done several of this year, I think if you're a top 10 team, you can call that a failure. I think you can call it a failure if you have to kick a field goal inside inside your opponent's 10. Um, you can get away with it a few times, but, but overall, that's something that you want to avoid any other either concerns or, or things that maybe the opposite of concerns, things that really stood out to you that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's, it's really like, it's the way I look at it. You talk about uh, if a team throws the football down the field and the corner interferes with the receiver every time, they're going to throw a flag. I don't know why that doesn't apply to when a defensive end is consistently beating the tackle and getting held on every, almost every play, how they're not going to call it at least once. You know, it's like there were multiple plays in yesterday's game where, where Hutchinson is getting held uh, and nothing comes of it. Ross held on a blitz. Just – you just wonder if that again, if that's a situation where it's gonna could cost Michigan in a in a situation as well. Uh not to go all like conspiracy on the officiating all, it's more just you see you kind of do see it across college football, but you know, I don't know how Michigan uh, how there isn't like a holding penalty on Northwestern in that entire game yesterday. Um yeah, zero the entire game is not that's Right. I mean, that's what I'm not saying. So, so obvious. Right. I'm not saying there should be like eight or nine holding calls a game or anything like that. I'm just saying like there was there were some that were so blatant not being called that you wonder, you know, how, like are they just not going to call it this year or or what's the deal? You know, I mean, it, it really it allows teams to hold more because they're knowing that they know it's not going to get whistled. Uh, so again, you that's something I always kind of look at in in big games. Uh, how that kind of stuff goes. I, I don't know if Michigan State is capable of slowing Hutchinson down for the entire game, but if if they're able to do something similar to what Northwestern did yesterday, then, you know, we'll see. So, you know, 
I don't know. I, I know people, a lot of people hate talking about the refs. They think it's a dumb topic. Like you can't control it, et cetera, et cetera. I just, it's always something I kind of keep an eye on just because I, I think it does have a certain amount of impact on the game. Obviously it didn't really impact yesterday's outcome, but you know, you're seeing multiple guys get mugged uh, in the pocket and, and getting no reward for it uh, at all. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. You know, it just speaks a lot to how great Hutchinson has been again this season. I was going to say, there's a reason they're holding him every snap. Right. And so that said, it, it continues to, yeah, he continues to show why he's arguably, I mean, I think the argument could be made he's been the best player in college football this year. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a, a lock or I don't, you know, there's obviously other guys in that conversation, but he's squarely in it. So yeah, just noticed that yesterday. I thought it was it got pretty egregious at points, and I just I couldn't believe it was like I had to look back at the box score to make sure I, I thought they had called it at one point, but they they never did. And I just uh, it's unfathomable to me that that's the case. Yeah, I love the replay of his sack. Uh, now, granted, David Ajaba was right there, so you know it wasn't completely this, but he like brought the quarterback down with one arm because the tackle was literally holding his other arm. And it's like, are are you kidding? Like, I, yeah, one courtesy call, right? You mentioned the the pass interference. I I agree with the overall sentiment that you don't want to be too ticky tack. I mean, the fact is, it's it's a physical game. It you know the the definition of holding, I always thought was very narrow, actually. And so I was like, hey, like, you know, maybe maybe broaden the definition, but call it more. But still, there has to be a couple calls just to keep the game in check. I mean, if, if it's something that's happening on such a consistent basis. So um, I don't usually agree with you on the ref stuff, but or, or I don't usually sit in the camp you're in, but, but I'm with you on that one. Uh, the other thing I would point out, another pretty good game for the special teams. I thought the, uh, the Cornelius Johnson on the punt, punt block was – one of the smarter coaching calls or more creative play calls I, I can remember, I, it did feel like the whole game, like they were going to be able to get some push uh, Northwestern if they sent the house. Uh, they weren't. I mean, but it was like Julius Wellshop a couple times. He was the only guy, and he still almost blocked the kick. And, and so then they finally did send it. Cornelius Johnson, I don't, I don't think he – I think he played on one kick return last year. That's it. He's, that's all he's done on special teams in his career. And so for him to, to come in off the edge and, and get that block, that's, that's pretty darn impressive. Anyways, we'll close with some discussion on Michigan State. We've kind of hinted at it. I think you and I are both in a situation where I don't know that either of us has a strong opinion on who the, the better overall team is but this isn't a great matchup for Michigan state. Like Michigan actually matches up pretty well. You mentioned their ability, Michigan's ability to stop the run, you know, kind of bring the tackling efficiency. They don't miss a ton of tackles. I think you could argue there's some concerns with coverage still, but their ability to get to the quarterback is probably superior to that of other teams. Michigan state has faced. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I don't know much about Michigan State's defense. I still have to do a little bit more research on that. But Michigan doesn't, you know, they they don't necessarily need to pass to set up the run. I mean, they can literally run to set up the run the way that they blocked on Saturday. Some some of your early thoughts on this matchup, and and I think I'm seeing initial lines of Michigan by a couple points, is that, is that fair? I mean, what what are some of your early sentiments on this game? Uh, I think the line sounds about right. I uh, it's going to be an interesting. I mean, this is obviously it's going to be an interesting game. I I I do though on paper, uh, as well as Michigan State has played. I, I I think Michigan looks like a bad matchup for them on paper. I was a little surprised to see that uh, State's run defense has been pretty solid this season. I think they're somewhere in the top 25 in rush defense, but when we talked about this before and I couldn't find the, I think you had found the stat there. Are they by average playing, playing the most plays in the country defensively per game? Is that what yeah, I think, I think UConn might be worse, but that's not a compliment. No, I mean, all. I think These Michigan teams, state 
literally is 129th in the country in plays per game on defense. Meaning that teams have shown an ability to, to sustain drives against them, which plays right into the way Michigan has played football this year. Right. I mean, we've seen them run the football. We saw what they did against Washington, you know, that type of just like, that's a ton, like, that's a ton of time on the field uh, for any defense. And then we've seen Michigan consistently force three and outs on the other side of the ball. One thing I kind of thought I took one of my biggest takeaways from yesterday's game. And I, I wonder if it'll play any kind of role next this, this for the next game is it just, it feels like Michigan is successfully wearing teams down on both sides of the football. And you talk about, and that that's why that stat jumped out to me so much with Michigan state, because that it feels like they could, they may be able to do that with this Michigan state defense. If, if their defense is going to be on the field for an extended amount of time on Saturday, you get to late third, early fourth quarter, we've seen Michigan pull away at that point in a few of their games this season. And I think it's because they're physically wearing the other teams out. So yeah, that's that really jumped out to me. Uh, offensively, we know what Kenneth Walker's capable of. Uh, Michigan probably want to take a, a page out of Nebraska and Indiana's books. I mean, they slowed him down pretty well. And I, you know, that's kind of the other thing about Michigan State. It feels like, I don't know, is, is, are those the two best teams they've probably played this year, Nebraska and Indiana? I was Miami in that conversation again because they beat NC State or uh, – I guess – no teams depending on how you feel about depending on how you feel about Rutgers because Rutgers right. gave Michigan fits. I know you weren't there, but uh, it's I I think you could argue. Yeah, I guess Nebraska is right unless Miami gets it together. So their offense was, I'd say, relatively pedestrian in those two games against Nebraska and Indiana and, you know, not nearly what they've put up in some of the other games this season. So got to think Michigan to try to take a page out of both of their books. Again, that's the other thing. Like Walker's been an amazing player. I think he should be, if, if the season was to end right now, I think he should at least have a chair in New York, but Michigan has done so well in stopping the run uh, that I just, I think they're going to have, it's going to be an interesting battle for Michigan state to try to establish any kind of running game. Uh, I'm not saying that I think they, they should be able to, they could probably run the football. I just wonder if they'll even be able to come close to what they've done in some of their other games this season as great of a player as Walker has been. So I do, I think on paper, it just, it feels like this is the type of game Michigan should win. But again, you have to talk about going on the road. You talk about just the rivalry stuff. This has almost always been a close game. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michigan on paper, I just I feel a little bit more comfortable with right now. I mean, we'll deep we'll dive deeper into everything, uh, obviously during the week. But early initial thought is that the line seems right. You know, that's a what with a three point, uh, an estimated three point, you know, home deal. So that the, the Vegas technically probably thinks Michigan's about five points better than Michigan State. I, I I'm leaning somewhere in that area, but uh, but yeah, there's always so many variables in this game that it's you know too early to really kind of make any big definitive statements right right and you know things like playing at home playing in front of a really charged atmosphere having the buy-in I'm really impressed with the buy-in that Michigan State has here the 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 cohesion the commitment level you know I think they it reminds me of Michigan basketball a little bit where I think they just last season where I think they just so strongly believe in what they're being coached what they're being taught, you know, the, the scheme and the, and the development that they have, you know, that that's a factor. Uh, number two, your, to your run defense stat, Evan Hull, we mentioned, you know, he had 75 yards on one run. There's a, only one running back in the entire, on Michigan's entire schedule who has even gotten 75 yards in a game. Hull, I guess, technically is two, but Isaiah Pacheco from, from Rutgers got to 107. No one else has gotten to that level. And they, if I'm not mistaken, they face several top 25, top 30 
running backs this season in terms of yards per game. So, yeah, very good run defense, especially, I like your point, up the middle. After taking a quick peek at some of the stats, I, I think I might have undersold Michigan State's defense. They're a lot better than I, than I realized. Uh, that, that will be a tough matchup, but I do think Michigan's defense can go into this game pretty confident in what they can do. If you are Michigan's coaches, and this is the last question I think I have, I guess, what, what are you trying to do between now and Saturday the most? You know, this team has talked about the Michigan State game before. Aiden Hutchinson had the quote this summer about, um, you know, watching. He kept re-watching the game, and he wanted to throw up from last year. So I think, I think revenge is on the mind. I think that's there. But is there anything on your checklist, if you're, if you're Jim Harbaugh, if you're Michigan's coaches, on what Michigan needs to figure out this week? Is there anything that can be done on, on just a couple days' notice? Uh, other than, like, the obvious stuff, is there anything that, that Michigan really needs to put at the top of its to-do list heading into this matchup? I, I, think, I think it's uh, on the mental side. I think it's to keep everything kind of the way that you've been keeping it. I think – you know, I like the idea. I like the way that Michigan has embraced the road environments so far this year. I think that's been a benefit for them. I think you'll expect that to continue. Yeah, never a shortage of motivation in this game. I think I think I mentioned a, I don't know, a month or so ago, I always said this game was like, I feel like Michigan has had this one really circled. I mean, you always circle this one, but I think even more than normal because I think last year's game really is what, really set off a chain of really bad events for Michigan defensively. I think a lot of guys gave up. I think a lot, you know, I think a lot, it just, I think they lost faith in the defensive staff. I just think it's a game that I think there are a lot of guys in that unit that are back from last year that have such a sour taste in their mouth about the way it played out, you know, and I think they got to keep that fresh in, in their mind, but, you know, also just, worry and focus about playing mistake-free football, not just from a turnover standpoint, but from penalties. I think Michigan's done a pretty good job this year in limiting their penalties. You know, that those are the kind of things you want to avoid in a rivalry game. You you don't want to give a free 15 for yapping or a late push, stuff like that. I think those are the kind of things, those little things that can make a big difference. You know, besides that, I think defensively limiting the, the deep passing game, Michigan State loves to throw the football down the field. I haven't watched a ton of them. I do feel like I, – I don't, I don't know if I would classify Thorne as, like, an effective chucker. I, I don't really know the right way to to say it. Uh, it feels like they might try a lot of the same type of stuff they did last year, honestly, just because they've had success with it this season on a more consistent basis, you know, as far as just dropping back and just throwing it downfield and trying to let their receivers make a play on it. but. I think so. I think that's a, a focus for Michigan is you don't want to allow a couple big plays to to soften your front seven and allow Walker to kind of do his thing after that. Yeah, they definitely do that deep ball. That would be that would be one thing that Michigan and and DJ Turner's emergence I think helps with that uh, on passes of twenty yards or more downfield. So not yards after the catch, literally throws. They have completed 17 to 36, which is actually pretty good. I mean, those kind of passes are usually 50-50 balls. For 737 yards and eight touchdowns, they have two interceptions. But that's they are a genuinely very good deep passing team. Um, so that's one. The other thing that I think is, is relevant is I think Michigan's got to iron out its pass protection. I, I know – the immediate response is they've only allowed six, three sacks all season. And they had a great game against Northwestern, but, and that was a start. Michigan State's going to bring it on a different level. I think they're going to be a lot more like Nebraska, who I believe had 12 quarterback pressures against Michigan. And then Wisconsin and Rutgers also, you know, with some of the twists and the stunts and some of the creativity, you know, bringing the linebackers in a little bit more. I think this is something I, I, that's something I would not overlook because I think Michigan state has a, I mean, they always seem to, but, but you know, they, they seem to have a genuinely good pass rush and 
you know, Cade McNamara, if, if some of his best passes are the deep balls, I guess it's, you know, you got to protect him long enough so he can make those kind of plays. So um, that's something, it wasn't a concern on Saturday. So I didn't include it until now. But if I'm looking at Michigan State, that's one area I think Michigan being healthier on the offensive line would help with that. You know, Cade Mac or not, Chuck Filiaga played. Zach Zinter warmed up, did not play. Trevor Keegan did not even dress for for Saturday's game. So being healthier would help. Uh, but I also think just continuing to hit the film, continuing to hit the scouting report, and figuring out what Michigan State's pass rush kind of looks like and, and ironing that out should be high on the to-do to do list along with deep ball coverage. Anyways, lots to come heading into this top 10 matchup. The first time these two teams have been top 10 facing each other since 1964. The first time they're facing off as undefeated with seven or more wins under their belt ever. So this is really, I mean, you could genuinely call this one of the top two or three biggest matchups in, in the rivalry's history. Uh, so lots of content to come. Lots of coverage to come over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.